it is something that we, we need to really be reflecting on every moment of our life. That It's the very thing that distinguishes the Christian faith from every other religion in the world. That, that God manifest in the flesh, in the man Jesus Christ, his son, shed his blood that we might be redeemed. Isn't that amazing? It's absolutely amazing. And in that redemption, there is power. There is power in the blood and we live in that power. Thanks, Chrissy. Well, over the, uh, the past few weeks, we've been journeying through the gospel account as Luke records it and I personally have been really enjoying it as we dig into the various sections. There is so much in there that yeah, we've all read these parts um, over and over again, but as we dig that little bit deeper in, there's just so much that is in there that, you know, in the living word, it, it becomes alive to us, and that's what we hope is the experience for each and every one of you as well. The past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, Luke chapter 6, and uh, last week, Gavin took us a couple of, chap- couple of verses ahead of where we were, because that was the section he felt that Uh, the Spirit was prompting him to share. And so he was sharing on that uh, text from uh, 6.27 through to 43, uh, talking about generosity, uh, judgment, things like that. Uh, A great message. We're going to step back again this Sunday. We're going to go back to Luke 6.12 through to 26. So we're picking up uh, the verses prior to where Gavin took us last Sunday. And uh, this has to do with Jesus choosing the 12. In this section also, there are the Beatitudes, and I'd invite you to read on in your own time about the Beatitudes. Uh, I won't be opening up that section this morning. I'll be looking at the choosing of the 12. I've shared on numerous occasions that I believe that as we go through the Gospels, we, we see what I'd call triplets of events. We see Jesus, always. We see the Sabbath. We see Pharisees. And you can expect to read when you see those three things together something really amazing. You can expect that there will be miracles and there will be an altercation. There will be trouble. Jesus, the Sabbath and Pharisees. It's a bit like an outworking of a predictable plot. There's going to be trouble. We saw that last Sunday with Pastor Tony. Uh, Jesus and the disciples were picking grain as they walked along. So, it was the Sabbath. There were Pharisees. Trouble. They got into trouble. Right after that, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. There were Pharisees. He got into trouble. The three there together, one Jesus, two the Sabbath, and three the the Pharisees. Sure enough, there was a miracle and along came the Pharisees to argue their case. They were typically, in keeping with the plot, furious as it goes on. There's another setting to look for in the Scriptures and that setting has to do with a combination of events that occur around mountains. We see that in our reading from Luke 6, verse 12. 
Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. I forgot. Let's have the the scripture. (laughs) One of those days... Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So as we saw in the beginning of that clip, uh, Jesus went up onto a mountain to pray and he prayed on that mountain all night. He prayed all night. How many of you could pray all night? I, for one, couldn't. I have enough trouble just sleeping all night, let alone praying. But Jesus prayed all night on a mountain. And that, that... is a significant thing, that mountain. It's a phrase that we see in the scriptures over and over again. You've heard the experience, mountaintop experiences. Well, it comes from the scriptures, basically, because there's so many mountaintop experiences that we come across in the scriptures. At the end of the flood, the ark, the re-beginning of humankind, came to a rest after 40 days and nights. That's another one, 40 on Mount Ararat. Abraham and Isaac 
what took place with them took place on Mount Moriah. Moses and the burning bush happened on Mount Horeb. Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. Elijah faced the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and he heard God whisper on Mount Horeb. Jesus chooses the twelve, the passage we're looking at today, on this unknown, or after praying on this unknown mountain. Jesus was transfigured on a mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. He prayed in the garden and that garden was located in the Mount of Olives. Jesus was on this tiny mountain or hill, which was the Mount of Golgotha, when he was on the cross. And finally, Jesus ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. There are so many mountaintop experiences that we read in the scriptures. And when we read of them, something important is taking place. Now, we just saw Jesus spending a whole night in prayer on a mountain. And something important did take place. In Luke 16, uh, 6, 13 to 16, as we heard, this is what happened. After that night in prayer, at daybreak, he called together all his disciples and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. And then they are named Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, Judas and Judas Iscariot. In choosing the 12 apostles, Jesus was choosing a core of new people. And you know, the amazing thing is, as we'll look at in this this message this morning, that in that call of those 12, Jesus also calls me and he calls you. After praying all night on the mountain, Jesus is obviously seeking his Father's will and following then his directions. In the footnotes to the Passion Translation, uh, Simmons makes a very good point on this verse. He says, This was the pattern of Jesus in the Gospel accounts. Before he made important decisions and before great events in his life, he sought the Father. Once he saw what the Father wanted, Jesus obeyed as the perfect Son. So there's a pattern in Jesus' life whenever he faced an important decision to be made or he sought direction in doing something, he would spend time with his heavenly Father. And then after receiving those directions, he would do the thing that he saw his Father doing or telling him. So Jesus went up on the mountain because he realised that he needed a core of people in whom he could invest the future of his ministry on earth. And that's what he did. He called the twelve. They would carry on the work of Jesus when he left. Have you ever wondered why Jesus chose twelve, not ten or eleven? Maybe maybe he initially came down and chose eleven and Peter said, hey, what about my brother? Can't he come along too? No. No, Jesus intentionally chose 12. It's well agreed by Bible scholars that he chose 12 apostles 
because there were 12 tribes of Israel. In doing this, Jesus was making a very loud and definitive statement that he was now establishing a new people of God. By choosing 12, Jesus was in effect saying to the crowds, these 12 are now the patriarchs of a new people. These are the foundation of a new nation of God. Peter, who was one of those 12 who was chosen, writes this in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Amen. Thank you, Chris. You didn't hear that. Chris continued on with the the text, that we're called for a purpose. Yep. And that purpose continues because of Jesus choosing those 12 initially. This nation of new people was chosen, chosen not according to their ancestry or their background, but according to their belief, their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus was establishing a new people not based on their background, their race or their religion. If you trust in Jesus and believe he is who he says he is and then follow him, then where you have come from, who you are, is no longer relevant. You are a part of God's new people. So this is not just a story about Jesus choosing 12 apostles. It's a story about Jesus choosing you and choosing me. Have you ever seen the movie Shrek? Oh, pick me! Oh, I know! I know! Me! Me! <sighs> okay, can we, do, can we pop that on again? Oh, pick me! Oh, I know! I know! Me! Me! Okay, fine. I don't think Jesus sort of... <laughs> okay. But, you know, I've done that so many times in, in my Christian walk. Oh, pick me! Pick me! I know! I know! Me! 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 Have you done that? Yep. Yep. You know, as soon as I do it, I then think about all those things that disqualify me in my own heart and mind. When you jump to do something for God, do you find following is all the questions and the doubts as to whether or not you're qualified enough or whether you can really do that? Well, just think for a minute about the 12 whom Jesus chose. I'm not going to go through all of them, but fishermen. Fishermen stink. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but Jesus still chose fishermen. Tax collectors. Tax, tax collectors were traders. Jesus still chose them. Judas. Judas Iscariot. He knew Judas. Judas betrayed him and yet he chose him. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that can disqualify you or me from being a person of God. There is nothing. 
And the reason why there is nothing is because Jesus qualifies me and you on the cross, the outworking of our salvation. Our approval is no longer determined by us. It's determined by Jesus' qualifications. He is inviting us into his kingdom and if we trust him and believe he is who he says he is, we can go into his kingdom. We are embraced in his kingdom. And this is good news. This is gospel. Yes? Yes, it's good news. Think for a moment about Jesus choosing those 12. He didn't go to the popular people of his day. He didn't go to the elite or the socially acceptable people and say, look, you know, I, I need 12 trustworthy men. Can you advise me on who are the acceptable people that I could choose? No. Jesus selected from the ordinary, everyday, unknown people. Because he was looking not at their capabilities, but their availability. Jesus chose ordinary people. And what does the saying say? God does the most extraordinary things through ordinary people. Isn't that what we see here in the Bible? Every person from beginning to end that God chooses is an ordinary man or woman. There's really nothing special about them at all. In fact, they're often wimps, wusses, and, and totally dismissing their own abilities because they recognize they have none. And yet God says, I will be the one who equips you. I will be the one that makes it possible. Ordinary women and men. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope because I'm just ordinary. There's nothing special about me. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven from the Passion Translation. God chose those whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and powerless to shame the high and the mighty. And I love the way the message puts it. It's much longer, but I love it. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best. Not many influential. Not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. I love that. We have nothing. We bring nothing to the table and say, here you are, God. Look what I have. God brings everything. As Chrissy said, he brings himself, manifests himself in the flesh and in his son Jesus Christ gives everything. Thank God that we might become 
his special people. So think about the 12 people, the men that Jesus chose, ordinary, everyday men. But they changed the world in an extraordinary way. And already we see this change beginning to happen in that scripture text. As you read in Luke 6, verses 17 and 19, when they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by crowds. These were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from, and from as far north as the sea coasts of Tyre and Sidon. They'd come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. This gathering, this crowd of people was a gathering that should never have taken place. It should never have happened. There were Jews from Judea and Jerusalem and there were Gentiles from Tyre and Sidon a gathering of people that would never have been seen together in the one place, Jews and Gentiles together, doing the unthinkable. They were touching each other, jostling and interacting with each other to get close to Jesus. Jews weren't supposed to touch Gentiles. If they touched Gentiles, they were unclean and they'd have to go through a process of of ceremonial cleansing. Yet here we read that they were jostling together, they were touching one another, all in an effort to get close to Jesus. It was a miraculous gathering in a divided society. No one, nothing could have brought all these people together besides Jesus. Here was the beginning, the birth of a new thing, a new nation who would find their identity in Jesus Christ. For as we read in Galatians 3 verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One in Christ Jesus. We know and don't need to be told we live in a society that is divided. It is fractured and it is hurting. As then, there is no one, nothing that can bring us together besides Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can bring unity to this broken world. As I look around the room, there's men and women not many as there used to be because of COVID. You all have different political views. You, you have different backgrounds and ethnicities. Some of you are more wealthy than some others. And the only reason that we are here together today is because of Jesus Christ. Jesus has brought us together and we are one in him. He unites us regardless of where we have come from. Right here in the scriptures, people 
who are all together, who shouldn't be together, are together because of Jesus. And I believe that's a little bit of a glimpse of what it will be like in heaven. Revelation 7, 9 to 10, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, Jesus. They were clothed in white robes. They had a new identity. And that was in Jesus, clothed in white robes, the robes of righteousness. And they held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Unity, grounded upon and found in Jesus Christ. This is what he calls us to be, united under him. And you know what? I can't unite myself to you. You can't unite myself to me. The Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, can make us brothers and sisters in Jesus. Brothers and sisters who love one another with a love that God gives us because he first loved us. Well, it's not the reality of our world, is it? We're very much divided. God created us to be one. He created us to be in perfect harmony with one another. But the fall in the garden shattered that harmony. It completely broke that unity. That's what happened, but it hasn't changed God's purpose for us. God's purpose is still the same. It's never changed. And what we see in the scriptures this morning in Luke 6 is an inkling of that unity where people from all different backgrounds, people who at one time detested one another, can be united and found together because Jesus is at the centre of their world. And Jesus is the one who unites them. They rose above the issues that had divided him, divided them. And they rose above those issues so as to get closer to Jesus. Jesus is calling us to do the same today. Rise above the issues through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the issues just fall away so that we can walk with people and be united. Draw people to the most important person, Jesus. That beautiful song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth, the hatred, the disunity, the racial bigotry, whatever it is, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And the words go on in that song, His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. 2,000 years ago, Jesus did the most radically different thing. He chose 12 nobodies to be somebodies. And through their devotion to him, and faithfulness to the mission that he entrusted to them, and through the power of the Holy Spirit that was given to them, through these things, I stand here today and I know Jesus. 
And through these things, you know Jesus. If it were not for the twelve, chosen by Jesus after a night of prayer on the mountain, there would be no hope in this present life. There would be no hope for the future. There would be no hope. But because of what took place that day, we have hope. We have eternal hope. And with our eyes fixed on Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says in 12, 2 and 28, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, we receive a kingdom that is unshakable. And as we read in Scripture, that kingdom is going to fill this earth. That kingdom is the kingdom we pray for. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And those things can take place because Jesus chose 12 nobodies and through their faithfulness and ministry to him, the gospel spread through the world. And we heard it and we accepted and we received Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And we now are part of that chosen, that new nation of God. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Loving God, your word is more precious than all that I possess and it gives light to my path and to my roadway. Through your will alone, lives can be transformed and minds can be made new. I pray for all people that have not yet come to know you, for you have promised that in your Son, Jesus Christ, you will unite people from every tribe, from every nation. Unite us, Lord, by your word and your spirit, that we might bring a light to the darkness and hope to a broken and hurting world. In the name of our living Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, thank you. Well, next week we will not continue in our series of Luke because we'll have our sabbatical Sunday. doesn't stop you from reading ahead. Feel free. I would encourage you, though, to read ahead in that section of Luke and, and just do a little bit of homework on those Beatitudes because in many ways, well, Gavin made the comment that um, he felt that that is the mandate that Jesus has given the new nation of people to live according to those Beatitudes. Let them be the basis of our life as Christians. To turn the world upside down, to turn our world upside down and do things differently, do things God's way, for there will be the blessing. So I encourage you to read on with those Beatitudes through to verse 26 and um, we'll pick up again when we come back together next time, uh, following on from where Gavin left us off in 43, I think it was. So if you want to read ahead, I encourage you to do that. But for now, I invite Alex and Kerry to come and to lead us in song. And as they come forward, I'll just pray. Father, we thank you so much that, that we can be part of something new because what you do is new every day. Uh, you haven't just done something and that's finished. It is, it's the outworking of what you began back as Jesus walked on this earth is still 
the outworking of our life. And as we turn our eyes on you, as we focus upon you and rest in you in what you've done already in our lives, we can live a full life. We can have abundant life in Jesus Christ. We can just lay down our striving, lay down all of that work that we might feel we have to do. For the reality, Lord, is that you show us that as we have faith in you, our faith will result in the fruit of works. We thank you for that. So, Lord, go with us this week. I pray that you will create opportunities, open up opportunities for us to share the wonders of the gospel and and for us to have the boldness to create those opportunities as we meet people and speak with people. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We go out knowing that you have blessed us this day. In Jesus' name, amen.